VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course, In The Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. VOC Nation Radio Network Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, Killer Ken Resnick, back on a beautiful, beautiful Wednesday as we drop this show. Ken, on the East Coast, it's been uh, in the 60s, upper 60s, and early 70s for a while. We're done with the election. Uh, the sky is blue. The sun is nice. And life is uh, just just normal, right? Doesn't it feel normal? I don't know, but here in Minnesota, as we're doing this, we're in the middle of another sleet and snowstorm. And oh. I'm thinking back that when we last did a wrestling with history, we were in the middle of another snowstorm here in Minnesota. I'm thinking you might be the bad luck in this deal. Wow, I'm sitting here thinking <laughs> this has been uh, just a beautiful string of days, and, and there you are in a sleet storm out there in Minnesota. Well, Ken, hopefully, other than that, life is grand for you. Everything going okay? You staying free from illness? Uh, at least I am. Can't quite say the same for, for everyone uh, in the family, but you know, for me so far, uh, uh, knock on wood, although it's kind of good news, bad news. Uh, the, the, the good news, the great news is I thought, well, thank goodness we're all done with all these political commercials, but now you cannot watch any show without getting bombarded by, you know, five to ten commercials for, you know, you could change your Medicare plan till the next <laughs> month. And I'm going, you know, they got to do something where the, the, the population of this country ought to be able to get it, it, at least a 30 day break from after all the political commercials they shouldn't be allowed to to bombard us with something else now <laughs> oh it's good yeah it's it's always something it's that that's the the news machine always has to to work it's like 
you know, clickbait and they always have to have something to, I don't know what they're going to do without Donald Trump in office anymore. They're not going to have that 24 seven, you know, crazy coverage that they've had. It's going to be uh, a little bit different, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, 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 he, he, he's doing his best to try to extend that coverage. Well, <laughs> you, you, listen, without getting political here, you might see, uh, you know, five rallies a week for the next four years. Uh, so we'll see what happens. It'll it'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, you know, I, I, maybe a, a, a good sidebar topic would be right now. What's based in, in or more reality, professional wrestling or Donald Trump? Currently, <laughs> you could make a case for both sides. Well, we uh, we don't want to uh, alienate uh, our our Republican <laughs> or Democratic listeners, so we'll move right along into uh, continuing our journey back in 1984. And if you're new to wrestling with history, that's what we do. We start it in '83, and we're going to take you through the '80s. We're going to do this as long as we can, and we look at different topics in each year in long form. And Killer Ken was, you know, in the middle of it all back in the early. Uh, part of the 80s actually for all of the 80s killer ken was a big part of the wrestling machine so we've had a lot of fun this show continues to grow in terms of its reach and its subscribers and your feedback so keep that coming we got a ton of feedback on our who would have been uh in the hulk hogan spot if hulk hogan wasn't uh, at the in the WWF, we got a ton of feedback on that, and we'll talk. Uh, we'll we'll kind of go through that feedback today, and then I want to cover um, some other points uh, from 1984. We may not close out 84, but we'll continue to uh, to get through that. And Ken, if somebody is new to wrestling with history, if you're looking at a wrestling site and you click play on one of the articles that covered something that we said. We invite you to subscribe. Just search for VOC Nation Radio Network, and you can find us on any of your favorite podcast apps. So besides Ken and I here, we drop on Wednesdays. There's also Shelly Martinez, who was Ariel in WWE's ECW. Also, Salinas in, at TNA. She drops on Tuesdays with Shelly Live. You have In the Room. They take live calls every Tuesday with Brady Hicks and former WCW star The Maestro. Stro also does WCW Retro on Thursdays. Uh, Wes Briscoe's part of the network, dropping uh, Briscoe and Big Ace on Thursdays. And the newest member of VOC Nation is Sassy Steffi, independent star. And she's uh, she's been all over the board with great guests, most recently uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, who was the manager of Alberto Del Rio, and a great interview with Brian O'Halloran from the the uh, legendary cult classic Clerks, and he talks about the upcoming release of Clerks 3. So check out VOC Nation on your favorite podcast app. It's free to subscribe. Just go to your, your favorite app and subscribe, rate us, review us. That helps the podcast to grow. So, Ken, I want to dive right into the mailbag because we got so much feedback from that show we did. It's been a couple weeks now, but but with the election, um, our recording's been way off. We we did a couple shows that are in a row. We we replayed a great interview with uh, with Adnan Al Casey, and 
Lots of coverage, though. The sites have finally caught up to us with our our coverage of who could have carried WWE in 1984 without Hulk Hogan. And, Ken, you remember, just reminding you, jogging your memory, you came up with Ric Flair and or the macho man, Randy Savage. They were your picks. Yes, and, you know, quick addendum, both of whom would have, you know, turned babyface. I, yeah. I I think the, the one thing uh, I am certain of, in order to, you know, expand to a national footprint, not only in the United States, but in Canada, with all the appearances and shows on, on, you know, talk shows and news shows and just in-person appearances, whoever it would have been would have had to have been a baby face. But in my book, Rick, if you'd gotten Rick Flair away from MWA uh, and, you know, Rick, as good as he was as a heel, was a great baby face uh, as well. So baby, uh, both Flair uh, and or Savage, but they would have been baby faces. So I said, Jimmy. In my Sn- opinion, no, and it's great opinion. I, I think you were you were spot on. I I went with Jimmy Snooker, the Junkyard Dog, and you know we had some feedback, positive and negative, with both. You know, Snooker wasn't necessarily a talker. The dog was. Um, a lot of people say he was unreliable with uh, the drug problems here and there. But I, I think both of those guys were capable. And then the fans overwhelmingly voted for Andre the Giant. And if you want to hear our thoughts on that, just go back into the archives at vocnation.com or, uh, or on any of those pod apps, and you can find our show that talks about Hulk Hogan, whether, uh, replacing Hulk Hogan in the WWF in 84. Let's go to some comments. Bishop says, while discussions about who could have replaced Hulk Hogan are always fun, I can't say I've ever felt like a clear-cut candidate has emerged. Yeah, you hear theories about Dusty, Flair, Slaughter, and even Von Erich, but for better or worse, Hogan and McMahon was the ideal combination of timing, age, personalities, motive, charisma, etc. I don't think Flair would have captivated the audience as a face the way Hogan did or have been happy in that role in the geographical location. I don't think Dusty and Slaughter would have held up to the schedule or demands of the role, an often overlooked aspect of that era at the top spot. And I don't know if Von Erich was mature enough or reliable enough to handle the spot. I think WWF still would have been popular and someone would have slid into that top spot, quite possibly Macho Man. But I don't think anyone would have reached anywhere near the peak that Hulk Hogan and the WWF did together. I think at best, you might have seen a peak that more closely resembled the 90-91 years of the WWF, still high by most industry standards, but not close to what the WWF did from 85 to 89. Great point by Bishop Ken. He's basically saying in terms of wrestling, it would have been, you know, that that milk toast uh, 90-91 era where business was good, but not legendary. And it really took Hogan and the WWF, Hogan-McMahon's combination to do what they did. Oh, I, I, Bruce, I completely agree with everything Bishop said, but the, the whole premise of this show, you know, that we're, we're talking about was if Hulk had stayed in the AWA and not gone to the WWF, who do, you know, you and I and our listeners think could have carried that mantle. And I, I agree with Bishop whoever 
it would have been, and like I said, I think Ric Flair, I think the Macho Man could have done it, but I think you and I and just about everyone are in complete agreement, it would not have been as dynamic as it was with Hulk Hogan, but we're talking about what if Hulk didn't go, who could have done that? Because, you know, Vince was determined to kind of, you know, undo the unwritten agreement about, you know, not stepping on another territory. So uh, he would not, you know, Vince would not have quit his idea of going national just because Hulk didn't come, but right. Hulk was his, his greatest vehicle. Yep. No doubt. Motorhead 9999 says, I don't think Flair could have because Flair works far better as the heel than the face. And back then, especially in the early and mid eighties, you had to have a face be the face of the company. You had to have a face be the face. Okay. A good heel like Flair went very long to giving the face the ability to get the crowd, but it was always a face. I think Macho Man certainly could have carried the company. He was just as good as Hogan on promo, just as charismatic, and even more so than Hogan at times, and he was fantastic in the ring. Um, you know, Ken, here's my immediate feedback, and not that people care about mine as much as they do yours. Uh, Macho Man, at that point in time, was a little small for what Vince McMahon liked in his top guy right oh yeah i mean not, not muscular wise just you know height wise he wasn't you know as big or as ripped as hulk but you know the macho man you know as far as muscular was great but hulk you know had everything and you know i i certainly agree it's kind of what i've said that you know rick was much better as a heel than he was as a face. And when he did wrestle as a face, he was still very, very good. Yeah. But whoever Vince, you know, would have knighted to be the, in this case, lower face of the company, be it baby face or heel, it would have needed to have been a, a baby face. Um, because if you think about it, you know, uh, even on uh, uh, TNT, when the heels would come on the show, or certainly when they were doing other network talk shows, other than Bobby Heenan, just the nature of their character, they couldn't be as engaging as a baby face. So that's why I'm saying that, Absolutely, Ric Flair, as great as he was as a babyface, was much greater as a heel. But whoever took that lead in taking WWF national and, and international would have needed to have been a babyface. So when they went on, you know, local talk shows, national talk shows, as a babyface, you can ingratiate yourself with the host to the audience. As a heel, you really can't do that. 
want to pause right now to remind everybody they can go to vocnation.com and click on the shop button and get their very own Killer Ken Resnick Made It Real t-shirt. It has all of the places that Ken worked. It has all of the uh, the quality standards that you would like, and it's made by our friends over at Pro Wrestling Tees. Get your Killer Ken Made It Real t-shirt, and while you're there, check out the entire line of VOC Nation shirts you can get the network shirt voc nation you have uh the maestro wcw star the maestro has a few shirts a wonderful shirt of shelly martinez in a bathing suit uh just awesome stuff go to vocnation.com on the left hand side click the shop button and you can get your voc nation apparel and check out our wonderful friends over here to hear what they have to tell you each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. All right, Ken. So, yes, I think that whoever had to do it would have had to be a baby face. You could make the argument about Flair or no Flair. Uh, I think Flair did have the charisma. And who knows what would have happened if if Ric Flair had to play a different role. I think that he was talented enough to to do it. But you're right. It, it was all about the media appearances, too. That's the part that people forget. Wasn't just about talking people into the arena at the time. Vince had all those guys. They were on Regis. They were doing the uh, run of the gamut of uh, late night talk shows. That was a big part of that role. And um, that's where to me, macho man, Randy Savage wasn't quite where Hogan and flair were. And, and Andre just <laughs> wasn't the guy. No, um, you know, and again, as I, I think it was uh, Bishop who talked about, uh, mentioning some of the other guys that wouldn't have been able to endure the grueling night after night after night after night, different city every night working. Uh, and certainly Andre couldn't have come close to working, you know, that kind of schedule. And with Adam in mind, uh, I just want to go back when we were talking about Ric Flair, that because his interviews were so great, a lot of times people forget that Flair was one of the best in-ring workers of his time. So, you know, he would have been one of those that, like I talked about, you needed someone who was great, you know, had the passion for convincing people to, to go to the arena to buy a ticket, and where Rick didn't have the physical size of Hulk, he had that wow factor in the ring as well. You know, the same persona, you know, that Hulk had by the reaction of the crowd, but that also that the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth had, Rick had, just that persona when they first came out from that curtain, they didn't have to do anything and they still grabbed the crowd long before they even made it into the ring, just on that walk, they all three of them had that it factor. 
Yeah, that was a big part of the WWE, WWF presentation versus the uh, a lot of the other promotions was, you know, the theme music and and the whole setup that that aura that came with the talent, that larger than life aspect. And, you know, that's what you and I have talked about a lot about uh, what's missing today is the lack of a megastar and um that larger than life aspect of the personalities let's keep let's keep running i want to come back to that that whole um contrast with today but we'll get there in a second master of zen and by the way i want to thank uh 411mania.com uh 411mania pw insider they're two of the the sites that regularly cover us um wrestling news headlines is up there as well we got a lot of good friends in the wrestling media but 411 mania has a very active audience and you know it's not just about when when you uh, want to interact with us you don't always have to just tweet us at voc nation or at bruce voc or email bruce at vocnation.com you see i work those in but you can just comment on any of the wrestling sites we scan those uh and we look for your comments and we we read them on the air so a lot of what I'm reading is from 411 Mania. Shout out to our friends there. Master of You Zen. know, Bruce, one, one other thing I, I, I have thought about and we really haven't touched on, you know, you alluded to it, but if you think about it, you know, in the 80s, you know, we we had had, you know, the, the, the Cold War with Russia, the Olympic boycott, uh, you know, problems in the Middle East. Even the presentation when Hulk would come out to, you know, a real American, what fan could not immediately relate to that? And at the same time, I think it was just an awesome, awesome choice when the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth would come out to pop and circumstance what person, what parent didn't immediately relate to their graduation, their child's graduation. So, I, I mean, the the packaging of both of them from, you know, even back, you know, in the 80s, uh, Vince McMahon and the production team at, at WWF, I mean, they dotted every I and, and crossed every T that as soon as that music played, not only did everyone know who was coming out, but they could, you know, subconsciously, they immediately related to the song they were hearing. Yeah, and and I think, and 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 we'll get back to the comments in just a second. I think can today, and, and this is a thing. So Jim Johnston was uh, was the theme music guy for in WWE WWF for for quite a long time. Him and Jimmy Hart uh, did most of the stuff in the eighties and. What, what I think is missing today is that iconic theme music. There's only a few songs that are really, when, when they hit, you know who's coming down to the ring. Randy Orton has a very iconic uh, theme music. Obviously, The Undertaker, when he's wrestling, which he's not doing much of anymore. But I, I think most of the time the music hits, I have no idea who, who's, uh, who's who. And, and maybe, I don't think it's just my lack of watching the current product. I think the theme music in the eighties was just iconic and you knew exactly who was coming out when. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, they mastered it. Uh, they were smart enough, you know, even, you know, linking Wendy Richter with Cindy Lauper, 
uh, you know, I mean, you know, their their marketing and, and presentation and production uh, was then and is now second to none. Um, you know, you can argue with the philosophy, the style, uh, the storylines, but you can't argue with WWE's production. Not at all. That's, uh, that's what made it, what it, what it became. <laughs> and, uh, you could, yeah, you'd say whatever you want, but that production led by Kevin Dunn is, uh, the best in the business, uh, regardless of anything else. Master of Zen. I think the Macho Man is the pretty obvious answer to the question of who would have been the top guy if Hogan hadn't existed. I mean, didn't the 80s WWF answer that question themselves? Savage was generally the guy they went to when Hogan needed to be de-emphasized for whatever reason. Savage was probably a little too weird to have taken the WWF to the heights Hogan did. Hogan was kind of weird, too, but he had a better sense of when to tone it down. But he achieved, achieved mainstream fame himself, and I assume he would have been an effective face of the national takeover. That was what I was going to ask you, Ken. And, um, you know, uh, tread as as lightly or as, as uh, heavily as you want. But I've heard stories from lots of different people um, when, when I used to travel and, and doing conventions and things about Macho Man being a loose cannon, very tough to work with. One day he could be your best friend. The next day he'd, he'd have you jammed up against the wall and um, threatening to cut your throat out. Um, how was your relationship with Randy Savage? Did you ever have any odd experiences where, uh, where he uh, was um, a bit of loose cannon? Um, I never, ever had any problem with working with Randy, uh, but you know, we weren't close friends or, or didn't hang out at all away from the business. But again, you know, Randy and all the talent, I mean, it, it was my job to help them look as good as they can. Uh, and the more I worked with Randy, if, if you look at the the early, you know, when I first started interviews I did with Randy, I would generally run the card, the, the, the building, the date, uh, who his match was, was going to be with. And then he would come in and basically just do his thing. Um, the more we worked together, the more Randy would kind of involve me with either a look or would direct a question to me, which then he usually would answer himself. But I never, ever had any sort of problem uh, with with the macho man. Uh, you know, a lot of stories, I mean, he was overly protective, almost obsessed with, with keeping uh, Liz separated from, from most... Uh, everyone. And I, I told the story and, and I think the, the connection point was actually, uh, Omaha. I was flying from some show and connecting through to Omaha onto the, the next city, which I'm thinking was St. Louis. And, you know, it was early in the morning because they always put us on the first flights. So I was kind of tired, got off my first flight, you know, made my way to the connecting gate 
you know, got there, checked in, you know, back in those days, you still had to go check in with the gate agent, <laughs> checked in, <clears throat> turned around, was looking for a seat and kind of glanced over and there was Liz sitting there. Uh Oh, so, you know, I, I didn't know she was by herself. You know, we'd worked together and I went over and said, Liz, how are you? you, know, you know, she was, you know, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what are you doing? And where are you coming from? We talked. And then, you know, all of a sudden this hand kind of grabs me and, and spins me what around. Are what are you doing? What are you doing, Ken? Well, I, no, I mean, he, he didn't know it was me, but it was just <laughs> somebody talking to Liz. And he was like angry. I said, Randy, it's, it's me. I'm just on my way probably to where, you know, say where you're And then he kind of relaxed a bit, but he was, you know, extremely obsessed or, you know, keeping uh, Liz hidden away. Um, but other than that, I mean, working with him, you know, I personally never, ever had the problem. And like I say, when you look at the early interviews and then some of the later interviews, he would kind of go out of his way or, you know, just in, in his way, you know, you know, Mr. Interviewer in the red tie. And he would, in the you know, base of the interview, acknowledge or tie me into, you know, whatever he was doing. So I... Other people, Randy could be a little difficult with, and uh, sometimes maybe a little short-tempered. But uh, as far as me personally, never ever had a problem. Do you think that he he would have been okay doing a lot of those media appearances? I mean, we know that that Hulk Hogan was was great on you know Regis and Jay Leno and. I guess Leno was later, but Hogan was great during the stuff that he did. Arsenio would Randy have, have been okay in that role as the face of the company carrying the strap. You know, I, I, I think so because, and this is just a supposition, never, you know, ever had a conversation, you know, with macho man about it, but I always felt <clears throat> that deep, down there was whether you want to call it pressure resentment whatever that randy felt he should have been top dog in that you know one thing i I mean i don't think anybody would argue in terms of in-ring work randy savage was a much better worker in the ring than hulk hogan and i think randy always felt he should have been the guy. Uh, and if you would get, you know, like b- breaks on interviews, you could sit down and, and visit and, and, and talk with Randy. Uh, and, and he was fine. So, you know, my short answer is, I, I don't think he would have had a problem. And yes, you know, he, he could have done it. And it, if you think about it, that Randy, you know, has been gone, you know, tragically, how many years, but hasn't wrestled for how many years and years before that, but they still use him, and most everyone still recognizes the macho man saying, you know, snap into a Slim Jim. That that is, he is still iconic to this day, years and years after his death. Uh, So if he had, you know, 
been a face and not had the pressure maybe internally of trying to be the top dog, I think he would have been fine. Moving to the, 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 the most interesting thing, because the fans clamored to see her Well, the only thing I, I, I would say would have been interesting was had it been macho, you know, with macho and Elizabeth, you know, doing the, the same, you know, Regis and, and, and the tonight show and, and everything else. I'm wondering if, if Liz would have, you know, been allowed to, to talk and, and be a little bit, you know, more open than she was, you know, ever uh, allowed to be. I mean, uh, you know, maybe, you know, one out of, you know, 75 interviews, you know, when she would come out with Randy and very seldom did she come out, you know, on the interviews, uh, did, did she ever say a word? So that to me would have been the most interesting. That's something we could probably do an entire show on, but it'd be interesting to think about that. That to me, if you're trying to replace that Hulk Hogan part, the combination of Randy and Liz on that circuit was, uh, is something to think about, but let's, uh, let's come back to that on a future show. Cause I think we could get, get some more time out of that unhappy meal says, uh, don't know about the old school match quality argument. A big reason guys like Flair, steamboat and Savage stood out was because they were in the two to 5% of wrestlers who gave more than a gravel size, crap about a high quality match a lot of the chemistry dudes developed on the road seem to be over well chemistry hacksaw and chic style i think he's referencing drugs um it's almost impossible to imagine anyone having more success in transforming a circus sideshow into an international phenomenon than the combination of vince's visionary predatory practices and hulk hogan Hulk checked all the boxes mentioned above while being physically gargantuan, something Flair and Savage weren't being able to play a sympathetic baby face in public and a calculating self-preservationist in private. That's a lot to unpack there, Ken, but I think he's hitting on, you know, the size factor that you and I talked about and, um, you know, the, the, the business acumen of Hulk Hogan, that's not something we've talked about a lot, but it's well known. Hogan was, able to do the on-screen part and and really play the part but he's a shrewd businessman behind the she- behind the scenes um i you know having spent time you know with hulk in the awa before he jumped uh giving credit where credit is due i think he learned and was helped with that business acumen by vince that, you know, I, I don't know that he was that astute or was that worried about the business aspect, you know, before going to the WWF, although <clears throat> granted it was T-shirt money, secondary marketing. That was one of the reasons Hulk left the AWA. But I think Vince helped him to be that kind of astute businessman that he became because you, know, you can say what you want about Vince, you know, he didn't become a billionaire by not being a real good businessman. And I think Vince realized that Hulk enabled him to do what he did. My 
again, guess speculation is that Vince probably went out of his way to impart a lot of that business acumen onto Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, I think that's a great point because uh, Vince needed Hulk to have some of the business acumen while he was out on the road. Cause they, they couldn't travel together a hundred percent of the time. And, you know, Hulk Hogan, in addition to representing Hulk Hogan and the brand, he represented the office and, um, you know, he wasn't necessarily making deals, but I think he had to talk his way around uh, different uh, boardrooms as well, you know? Oh, and, and I, I've told the story. In fact, I, I think I probably have told it on, on one of our early Wrestling With History shows. Um, one of the things that Vince told me right after he hired me, you know, and, and you know, this was still the 80s that, you know, Vince, not to me, the agents had to, but he said, look, you know, I, I, I don't care what you do on your own time, but if you are traveling to or from a WWF related event, I never want to see you not wearing a collared shirt. It can be a polo shirt, a dress shirt, a collared shirt, but no t-shirts, I, I, you're still representing the WWF and you have to wear a collared shirt. And then the agents then ended up having to always go to and from in a sport coat, not a tie, but a sport coat and some sort of, of collared shirt. So, I mean, even down to my level back in the mid eighties, Vince was very aware and focused on the branding of the people that worked for him. Now, that's a question I have for you there. So you say that to me, though, don't you want the wrestlers in their their gimmick? <laughs> like I'm thinking about somebody like, um, you know, Hillbilly Jim. Uh, Hillbilly Jim was uh, portraying a uh, backwoods Kentuckian uh, that had a farm and, uh, you know, he was a hillbilly. So is that a guy that you want <laughs> dressing in a, a, uh, a college uh, shirt? No, Bruce, this, this didn't extend to the wrestlers. Oh, but it I'm didn't saying, extend. Okay, I see. No, this was, you know, to, to wrestlers that had become agents because, you know, I was on TV, you know, representing the WWF, not the wrestlers, but any other known commodities associated with WWF, he wanted you to dress a certain way. This yeah. didn't extend to the wrestlers, but, but, but the wrestlers, any corporate personnel. The wrestlers, uh, would, would they have to dress? Like, did Vince want them in the gimmick? So I guess apart from that, that statement about the, the, back, the back office and, and what they were supposed to wear, what, did Vince expect somebody like Hillbilly Jim to, to dress in overalls? Or, or I'm trying to think of somebody. Adrian Adonis, was he required to travel in drag? Is that, is that what no, Vince expected? I, he didn't, no, he didn't have to, to wear that. And I mean... Hulk generally, uh, you know, just because of his size, he couldn't really, you know, disguise himself. He generally, you know, was wearing the, the red spandex and, and boots. Uh, and, and I've told the story. I remember one day I was in line. Uh, in fact, I think it was in uh, Pittsburgh uh, to pick up a, a rental car at the airport. And a guy taps me on the shoulder 
And I turn around and some guy is wearing an all black, you know, like warm up suit, track suit with a baseball cap pulled way down low. And he said, hey, uh, uh, you know, wh- where are you staying? You going to the arena? And I'm like, uh, what? You know, where are you staying? Can I, you know, can I, are you going right to the building? Can I ride with you? And I kind of said, uh, do I know you? And he pulled his hat up, you know, tipped his hat back. It was Roddy Piper. Oh, but uh, I mean, so the, the wrestlers, I think it pretty much, you know, is, is, you know, not, you know, I don't think they could get away with like they do today, you know, wearing cutoffs or cut jeans or things like that. But no, they they didn't have the 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 dress requirements. But my point was, you know, even for me, you know, when he hired me, he you know made it clear if I was traveling to or or from, he wanted me in a collared shirt, no no jeans or t-shirt or shorts or anything like that. That hey, you are going to be a face associated with. The WWF was associated with my product, and I want you to dress respectfully. Now, back in those days, so so today, uh, you know, when a lot of these um, the legends are doing wrestling conventions, they're usually brought in by a promoter, and that promoter doesn't want the talent to sign autographs when they're they're just um, you know coming off the plane or or traveling on their own because they view that as lost money. If the fans are getting the autographs for free then they're not going to pay once uh, they're standing at the table at the convention. So my question is, did Vince have the same expectations of the talent? Did he not want them to uh, sign autographs or interact with the fans? Did he want them to downplay their persona on the road so that fans would uh, feel like they needed to buy a ticket or, you know, pay for the meet and greets back then? Not, Not that I'm aware of, but you know, Back in in the early to mid '80s, there weren't the conventions and and paid signings there there are today. Okay. So it, it you know it, it I I don't think it probably ever came up because you know Vince wasn't doing any conventions himself. I mean, I in fact, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think they started doing, you know, even the quote-unquote convention surrounding WrestleMania, you know, itself, other than the WrestleMania, until sometime, you know, into the 90s. So I don't think Vince had any restrictions because, it, you know, one, he wasn't doing it, and it was just an industry and it's, you know... It, it, in infant status and certainly Vince didn't care about if some other promoter that had nothing to do with him lost money on autographs. (laughs) So I I don't think there was any sort of restriction. I think that was, uh, you know, pretty much left up, you know, to, to the, the talent. Uh, and even today, I, I, you probably can speak more to this than I can but most of the conventions surrounding WrestleMania really kind of feature more of the legends than, than the, the modern day. Um, so I, I doubt seriously Vince, I know he didn't have then, and I really doubt, you know, he does now. Uh, you know, and I mean, we've all heard 
stories where you know fans have been outraged where they see a, a little kid come up to a, a wrestler uh, asking for an autograph and the wrestler refuses to sign. Uh, I can't imagine that's a directive from corporate. I think that's just the wrestler's own decision one way or the other. Well, you know, today they have, uh, you know, fan access and comic, they, they, you know, they lend out the talent for comic cons. And, um, you know, I think actually, uh, at one of the comic cons, our truth lost his, uh, his 24 seven championship, if I'm not mistaken. And, and that, you know, that brings me real quick. This is just an aside. Um, I was watching the show yesterday and, um, you know, a lot of the titles in the eighties, Ken, were respected. And, um, I, I don't want to offend any, anybody that loves the modern product. Cause that's not what this show is about. And, and, uh, to each their own. But one of the things that I just, um, can't wrap my head around, and I'm trying to say this in a nice way, but the 24 seven title just doesn't do it for me. I think it was their way of creating the modern version of the hardcore title, but, I mean, to me, it's just stupid. It's, it's the, well, there's no prestige. I, it's um, just a stupid title. I, I and I know this is not going to drop until next week, but you know, we, we are taping this on Tuesday. Uh, I didn't have a a great interest in you know whether the Patriots were going to beat you know the 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 jets are uh, as they're known gang green which based on their season gang green is more like an infection than a <laughs> uh affectionate title so i am to switch over to monday night raw and you know my my timing was either perfect or perfectly imperfect but they're doing an interview with with our truth who's a, the 24 7 champion and he's talking about how excited he is Going, getting ready to go to the ring for this eight-camera GQ modeling shoot, and I'm kind of like going, "What?" You know, and I, you know, I'm not a regular viewer anymore. I try to tune in, and I say, "Yeah, I don't know what they're doing." And then the gal doing the interview said, "No, no, no, it's an eight-way title match," <laughs> and he's like, "No, it's this modeling shoot. No, it's this eight-way title match." which it turned out it wasn't an eight-way title match. And I mean, you know, some people like the three-way. I've never quite understood why you'd want to have a match where a guy could lose his, you know, uh, championship belt and never get pinned. But, you know, three-ways are you know, what they are, and they're exciting. And uh, But here's this eight-way title match for the 24-7 champion. And... I am not making this up. I am not overstating it. <laughs> but in the end of that match, within a three-minute period, that title changed hands about eight times yeah. to eight different people, two or three of which I had never heard of. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting there watching this, and then, you know, in the end, at the uh, after seven, eight guys held the 24-7 title for all of about five seconds, uh, it ended up going back to our truth winning it again, who just ran out of the ring. And I, I was really trying to, to wrap 
my head around the fact, as you alluded to, and in fact might have even been a bit of an understatement, in the 80s, even the 90s, if you held a championship belt, you were showing the respect by the company, the other wrestlers, the fans, that title meant something. Right. And I'm I'm watching this clown show regarding this 24/7 championship and and I'm trying to think granted it has become entertainment but you like to think at the core it, it's still about wrestling. Right. And you know I I know other than than Vince, you know Triple H is kind of, you know, the man there. And when Triple H w- was active and, and wrestling all the time, he was a, a great wrestler, a great performer, a great champion. And w- when he held the title belt, that meant something. And I'm th- trying to think to myself, how could Triple H or, or Vince sign off on this i mean it it's like can we insult the fans anymore is there any way we could make more of a mockery of this to have this title change hands like every five seconds for three minutes a different guy and and, you know and and then after all of that it ends up with the same guy that started it running out of the ring who you know who didn't know it was a title match and then he just runs away it's like, huh? What happened? <laughs> yeah. No, listen, you're you're preaching to the choir. I'm I'm not a fan of the WWE twenty four seven title. This is interesting. I was just looking through the comments as we we try to get through as much as we can before before we have to wrap. There's a guy named Scott. <laughs> he wants to know, Ken, is your gimmick? T- <laughs> this is uh this is silly is your gimmick to be an even less well-known and less tantrum throwing version of Jim Cornette and I I picked that because you know we're picking on the title and Jim Cornette uh, throws tantrums about the modern product all the time and you and I pick on the modern product maybe not as much as Cornette but um you know, uh, I thought Scott was, uh, he, he might be a little sour about our attack on, on the modern product. And and you, you don't yeah. have the reputation that Cornette does, Ken. Shame on you. I, I mean, <clears throat> we've been doing this together, you know, over a year. And, you know, I, I first <clears throat> uh, did your, you know, live show with Jimmy Hart in, in Philadelphia, <clears throat> I, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. And all the time we've, if I ever thrown a tantrum, I'm just giving my opinion. I mean, a lot of guys, I'm not throwing a tantrum. And, and just earlier, I mean, I, I think I, I praised and rightfully so Vince's business acumen. I'm, I'm just talking about what the product is today versus how I learned and, and the people, you know, I learned from. And, you know, I don't like it, but, uh, you know, what they're doing to the titles, but I, I sure wouldn't say I was throwing a tantrum. <laughs> well, that's because Killer Ken made it real. And by the way, 
If you want to make it real, head right over to VOCNation.com. Go on the left-hand side, and you can get your very own Killer Ken Made It Real t-shirt in any size that you want. It's a great quality. It's a nice royal blue, and it has Ken's uh, picture on the front. It's got all the places that he worked, all the, uh, the, the famous places that he worked, and it's a Killer Ken Made It Real shirt. Get your Killer Ken shirt, your Shelly Martinez shirt, your Brady Hicks in the room shirt, your my WCW Maestro shirt, get your VOC Nation shirt all right there at the VOC Nation shop, courtesy of Pro Wrestling Tees. And check out some of the great things from our other friends right here. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And me and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into like snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Back here, wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation radio network. Make sure you head over to VOCNation.com to get all of the archives so you can listen to any of our old shows. Ken and I did before this current version of wrestling with history. We had a show that we did every week where we interviewed legends of the past, and we talked to a whole bunch of great people, Barry Darso, uh, Gadnon Al Casey, Tito Santana, Danny Davis, a long litany of names. Uh, the other shows have great guests, and I've talked about the other hosts before, but, uh, you know, you got talent every week, like Wes Briscoe, Brady, uh, Brady Hicks from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Shelly Martinez, uh, the Stro Maestro from WCW, Sassy Steffi, uh, lots of great talent and hosts on VOC Nation. Some of them take live calls, so head over to VOCNation.com and check out everything that we have to offer. And one more time, got to tell you, the VOC Nation shop, uh, courtesy of Pro Wrestling Tees, get your Killer Ken Made It Real t-shirt. Hey, Bruce, real quick, I, I, I need to uh, give props to pro, our friends at Pro Wrestling Tees uh, on a, a couple of points. Uh, one, uh, I, I really do. I'm, I'm really proud of the shirt. I think it turned out great. Uh, but very pleased with the fact that it's a 100% cotton, pre-shrunk, heavy-duty T-shirt and certainly want to give huge props to Pro Wrestling Tees in that they were smart enough to put Shelly in a swimsuit on her shirt and not me. Uh, that's not you on the, in the swimsuit? I thought for no, sure. No, I'm saying I want, they were very, very smart to put Shelly in a swimsuit <laughs> and not put me in one. We could do some like altered reality thing where we have your shirt, your head photoshopped on Shelly's body. What do you think? Uh, well, it'd be a step up for me. I don't know that Shelly would feel so good about it. <laughs> Make sure you go visit <laughs> VOCNation.com. Follow us on Twitter, at VOCNation. If you want to tweet Ken or I, tweet at Bruce VOC. That'll get to uh, either one of us, and we'll read your tweets. A couple more questions, and then we'll wrap it up this week. Um, and uh, we just can't get past 1984, which is a good thing, because I think a lot of you fans love it. And, um... You know, when we get into 85, we got a ton of stuff to cover. WrestleMania uh, started in 85, and that's when things really started to 
kick into gear for Vince McMahon and the crew from New York. Uh, Wheeljack 84, I don't think it could have worked with anyone else at the time. All the elements came together the way it did to the way they did to make it happen. Vince McMahon's push for national TV during a changing TV landscape, Hogan's whole presentation and character, and what audiences were going through culturally at the time, it all worked in tandem. It was a perfect storm. Lightning in a bottle. Call it whatever you want. Same thing with the Austin era of the late 1990s working the way it did. Ken, uh, we've seen that theme over and over and over again. A lot of people don't think that it happens quite the same if it's not Vince and Hogan. Oh, I, I, I agree. You know, and the, the premise was if Hulk hadn't made the jump, who could possibly have, have done it? But I agree completely. It, it was lightning in the bottle. And, you know, something else that, that in, in talking about how well it worked uh, that I don't know if you and I have, have really brought up, but remember Hulk was also just coming off that appearance in Rocky three, where he was known, but, you know, more, you know, in the AWA, the upper Midwest. So he was the one guy coming off that Rocky three appearances, Thunderlips, the persona basically of, of Hulk Hogan was already known throughout the country coming off that movie. So as many of our comments have said it was truly, I mean, all the stars and planets aligned perfectly. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things. And, and I think that Hulk Hogan probably would have made it without Rocky III, but I, I, I don't think you can discount that. Vince picked the, the guy that had the mainstream exposure already, and and that's something that... I don't know who else in wrestling could have done. That's why I kind of guessed, um, you know, we were just spitballing some names on, on that show. And um, Muhammad Ali came up because, you know, Vince has always been enamored with boxers uh, going into wrestling and, and uh, taking part in some of the events, Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas, you know, there's a, a long line and maybe Muhammad Ali. And, and, and let's not, let's not forget Smokey Joe Frazier's oh, illustrious yes. appearance in Starcade. Yes, we covered that. Uh, check out our Starcade '84 episode. That was probably the worst show that Ken and I have ever done together. Um, it was, uh, I, I think, uh, for me, a couple, uh, lots of different things came together in um, my other business life, and I, I was running on fumes. And it's, it's the worst show we've ever done. So go back and listen to Starcade. But yeah, Joe Frazier, his legacy in wrestling is not, not quite as, as uh, promising as maybe Mike Tyson. But you know, what do you think about Muhammad Ali, Ken? Uh, could Muhammad Ali have been Hulk Hogan if Hulk Hogan wasn't? Wasn't Hulk Hogan? <laughs> That's a lot of Hulk Hogan's in there. Um, you mean becoming a wrestler? Yeah, and carrying the torch at least for a couple years. I know he he ended up getting his illness right around that time or being diagnosed, but I don't know. I I think that Vince needed somebody with mainstream exposure, and I don't know about a wrestler that really had that at the time, other than Hulk Hogan. So yeah, go into boxing and convert somebody. Uh, I, as great as Muhammad Ali was as a boxer, uh, 
as an activist, as a human being, um, I, 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 I don't see it because to be a wrestler, um, the, the passion of the interviews, the in-ring work, all of that, but you need a little bit of carny, I guess, if you will, uh, in you that you, you have to be and be convincing as someone you're not as your character. And if there was one thing Muhammad Ali was throughout his life, he was true to himself. And I, I can't, that transformation um, I mean he was willing and, and did really give up three years at the height of his career um, for what he believed in you know he didn't believe in 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 war and in the Vietnam War uh, and for him to be willing to to give that up for what he believed in, I you know yeah getting involved in in, in WrestleMania for a couple of days. Other than that, I I I just can't see him being convincing as anybody that he's not. Yeah, may, maybe he wasn't wouldn't have gotten along great with. Vince McMahon either. Who knows? And that, those those personalities might not have mixed well together. Well, one more. Yeah, Kenny. He got along with Don, he got along with Don King. He I mean, did. You know, I, mean, I don't think it's that, but he, you know. Uh, so no, the, the, I, I can't see uh, Muhammad Ali doing that. One more, and um, and this has really become a mailbag episode exclusively. Uh, we'll talk. We'll talk about some of the other stuff. In Gee, I, I feel just like I feel just like Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser on PTI. We're going into the mailbag. Well, this has been great. We got lots of good <laughs> feedback, and um, there's lots more. So uh, you know, keep this stuff coming in, and we'll try to get to as much as we possibly can. Uh, just keep it coming, and if we have to do some extra mailbag episodes, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll give you some bonus stuff uh, here and there. PJ Jr., this is the final one we'll, we'll do tonight. Hogan or Bust, he was in a wide-release movie. I think he meant widely-released movie, but that's okay. He was cartoonishly big for the 80s and was gold on the mic. I was a big fan of Orndorff but you couldn't sell him as a bigger than life. Uh, Snooker's only appeal. Snooker's Snooker's appeal only went so far. And then if people started to dig into his personal life nightmare, uh, that aside, you know, there's lots of reasons why Jimmy Snooker um, probably wouldn't have made it as we spoke about, but we haven't talked a lot about Mr. Wonderful, Ken. Mr. Wonderful had the body. He had uh, the microphone skills. But again, I think he was lacking that um, that overwhelming it factor. I'm, I'm not sure Paul Orndorff uh, was, uh, was capable of carrying it. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. And as my bona fide that I think this is the first time in the original show or kind of in our mailback show that anyone has really brought up Paul Orndorff as being a possibility for taking the spot if Hulk Hogan 
hadn't made the jump. So I, yeah, I, uh, Paul was great, uh, but there, the, the, the it factor, uh, he was great on interviews, but Hulk just had that, that passion where, you know, and I mean, even with the, you know, uh, hanging and banging, saying your prayers, you know, eating your vitamins, I mean, to have someone of his stature saying that to kids also endeared him to the parents that, you know, parents were far more apt to want to take their children to see someone who's telling them to take their vitamins and say their prayers. I mean, just it, it was, as, as one of the commenters said, it, it was lightning in the bottle that Hulk not only checked every box, he checked boxes you didn't know were there. Yeah, that's for sure. It was, uh, uh, you know, that was especially back in the, you know, the 80s were, were was a very wholesome time. The sitcoms were wholesome. Everything was wholesome. And Hulk Hogan was exactly what, what you need it to sell to children. And, and I mean, they, they maximized it. Hulk Hogan, lunchboxes, Hulk Hogan, toys, Hulk Hogan, pillows, Hulk Hogan. Um, what I, I don't, maybe cereal. I don't know. Did he, did he have cereal? Uh, ice cream bar. Well, you know, uh, and I, I, I guess to, to put a bow on it, it was Hulk Hogan that gave me the name killer camp. Yeah. And, you know, a few other wrestlers, you know, used it over the years. But here we are 30 years later, and everyone that, you know, was a wrestling fan back then or that has seen it on on the network, they say, oh, yeah, Killer Ken. Because why? Because Hulk Hogan gave me the name. Uh, A lot of other wrestlers, Sergeant Slaughter used it. Uh, you know, the, the fabulous ones used it, you know, over the years, a lot of people have used it, but they use it because that's what Hulk Hogan called me. Hmm. So, you know, just forget everything else because he gave me a nickname. That nickname has stuck 30 years later. You know who gave me the nickname, the voice of choice? Uh, I, uh, you're a friend. So my first reaction would say you did, but, um, I, I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't you because if it was, you wouldn't have brought it up. So it was probably someone else that, uh, Jimmy Hart, me, it was me. It was me. You did, you did give yourself the name. I was sitting there. It was before my first show, my first uh, talk radio show in Philadelphia. I was sitting there, you know, nervously. How, how was I going to do this? What was I going to say? And um, I wrote down this line and, and I, I uh, wrote down that I was your new voice of choice for drive time uh, <laughs> in talk radio. And, and that's uh, it stuck, at least with me. And, and here we are. VOC Nation. Who would have known? Well, well. No offense, bud, but the fact you gave yourself a nickname and Hulk Hogan gave me my <laughs> nickname, I think I got you on this one. I think that's what you call game, set, match. 
And, and, and everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's sitting there thinking, why am I listening to this idiot? Well, <laughs> you don't have to anymore because that's the end of our show. That's the end of the show for today. I hope we hope you uh, enjoyed our, our continuation of 1984, a mailbag episode as we reflect on who could have replaced Hulk Hogan if Hulk Hogan wasn't didn't make the jump into the WWF in 1984 next week we'll dive further into 84 i promise we're going to get through some of the rest of the year and wrap it up because 85 is even more exciting this is uh, i think nine episodes of 1984 uh hopefully we get into the uh the final tv tapings for all-star wrestling next week at the uh the old ag hall in allentown and I'm going to try to work on a guest, Ken. We haven't had a guest since we we did this new format. I'm going to try to work on a guest that uh, I did a show with at the Agriplex at Ag Hall in Allentown uh, a long time ago. And it's not Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan was involved in that show. But I'm going to work on a guest and see if uh, that person will join us. Don't hold me to it. I'm not going to drop a name right now. So stay tuned. Uh, remember, Wrestling With History drops right here on VOC Nation every Wednesday. So subscribe to VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Killer Ken and I drop every Wednesday, usually um, either middle of the night on Tuesday or early Wednesday morning. And uh, and we're bringing you the best of the 1980s in long form. So, Ken, Stay safe out there with the weather in Minnesota. Uh, hopefully you don't have, have to go anywhere tomorrow in the car, right? You, you get to stay nice and toasty at home? Uh, I got a couple places, but hopefully tomorrow it's going to be sunny and uh, not till early afternoon. So the one thing they do in Minnesota, they keep the roads well plowed because well, they- we get a lot of snow. Just oh, yeah. not this early usually. This is our second snowstorm. It's still mid-November. Well, hopefully it stays warm where I am. It's nice to be able to take the kids to the playground. So keeps them occupied during the day. But uh, we've had a lot of fun. Keep the stuff coming in. Remember, tweet at VOC Nation. You can follow us there on Twitter, at Bruce VOC. We just got a new Facebook page as well. So search for VOC Nation on Facebook. Uh, this thing is taking off. We want to thank our partners at Megaphone and Advertised Cast. Uh, they keep us going. So they're uh, running those dynamic ads into the show. Hopefully, uh, don't fast forward through them. Make Check out our advertisers, our sponsors. They are what keeps all of this fine program com- programming coming at you. We'll be back next week for Killer Ken Resnick. I am the self-proclaimed voice of choice, Bruce Work, wrestling with history worldwide in the VOC Nation radio network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Right here is the future of wrestling.